Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken with Faith Dialogue and Ministry here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, We're in a sermon series today called Unstoppable, and we're in the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Today we'll finish chapter 16 in the book of, of Acts, and we'll be getting into chapter 17. We're following Paul, the Apostle Paul and Silas, as what, when what we refer to as the second missionary journey of Paul. Last week we heard in the scriptures how Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi, a large city in Macedonia, what we, what we know as Greece today. It was a city that was established by Philip II of Macedonia. There they encountered a servant girl who the scriptures say was possessed by a demonic spirit who would follow them around and say, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, that just annoyed Paul to no end. He cast the demon out, and of course that annoyed the merchants because uh, the servant girl belonged to them and they were making a profit from her fortune telling. Um, She was no longer any use to them. Uh, This carnival act had disappeared and she wasn't going to bring any money in for them anymore. So Paul and Silas were unjustly accused and unlawfully imprisoned uh, for this activity. They were beaten, thrown into jail, but God delivered them by by an earthquake. And we said the climax of our scripture last week uh, was the salvation of the jailer and his entire family. We said that was probably the entire key to this journey by Paul. Uh, this, this jailer and his entire family received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they all believed and were baptized. So today we pick up where we left off. Verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly no indeed let them come themselves and get us out and the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Notice that Paul and Silas are still in some way in the custody of this jailer. Remember, they were set free by the earthquake. The earthquake freed them. They didn't flee, however, and they chose instead to minister to this jailer and his family. No doubt this was a great act of mercy as the jailer's life was also in jeopardy had the prisoners that he had been in charge of disappeared. So these rulers, the scriptures called them magistrates, say, let these people go. So to us, this beating with rods, the imprisonment, and now the release seems pretty arbitrary, and that's correct. 
In Rome, these magistrates were actually elected officials. They were Roman citizens. Their primary responsibility of the magistrate was to maintain the public order, uh, typically through coercion uh, and the enforcement of their power through flogging or imprisonments or banishments or fines. Uh, in Rome, non-citizens had very few rights, so it would not be uncommon for someone to be arrested, beaten, and even imprisoned, only then to be quickly released. Rome used this, uh, this terrorism-type policy in order to, to keep uh, the rule uh, within the uh, public streets. Now, the scripture makes mention of this as it says, the magistrates have sent you to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. So if, in fact, had, had Paul and Silas uh, were going to be released anyway, why did God send the earthquake? If it was common practice for people to be beaten and then released the next day, why the earthquake? Well, again, we come to the same conclusion uh, that we did last week, which was it wasn't about the earthquake. It was really about Paul and Silas ministering to this Roman, this, this jailer and his family and getting them saved. So Paul surprises these officers by telling them that he and Silas were Roman citizens. He says, hey, you beat us and we were Romans. You had no right to do that. There was no trial. You just beat us and put us into prison. Then Paul says something that likely puts the fear of God in, in all of them. He says, now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Uh -uh, not in your life. Let them come themselves and get us out. Philippi now is a principal city, and these magistrates that were in charge had to remember rule number one in Rome. And rule number one was that the citizens of Rome were not to be treated like non-citizens. Later in the same book of Acts, Paul will again be arrested because of the gospel, and he's going to be flogged by a, by a Roman soldier. Uh, let's read ahead to get a clear understanding of what it meant to be a, a true Roman. This is from Acts chapter 21. Paul said to the centurion, this is the one that was overseeing his beating. Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen without a trial? On hearing this, the centurion went and reported to the commander, What are you going to do? He said, This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, Paul answered. I paid a high price for my citizenship, said the commander, but I was born a citizen, Paul said. So our scripture today tells us that these magistrates came and pleaded with Paul and Silas to just depart. You know, it's just like our politicians today. They, they wanted the problem to go away, sweep it under the rug if necessary, just, just go away so we don't have to, to deal with the issues. But before Paul and Silas leaves Philippi, they go back to the house where they were staying, and they visit Lydia and her household, and they, and they minister to them and the brethren. The scriptures say they entered the house of Lydia where they had seen the brethren, and they encouraged them, and then they departed. You know, I, I really like Paul and Silas. Uh, they would not be hurried out of town. They would not be uh, just pushed out of the way. They were going to make sure that they accomplished what God had sent them to accomplish. This church that they started in Philippi would actually very grow. Paul would later write a letter 
uh, called an epistle. It was the epistle to the Philippians. It would be about 10 years later when Paul is in Rome and in prison. The theme of his epistle would be joy. As it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And this is Paul's recollection of Philippi, even with his imprisonment. They encouraged them and departed. Um, and now in Philippi, Paul and Silas left behind a couple notable uh, converts, not only Lydia, but also the prison guard and his entire family. Each of these two had their lives touched by, by Jesus in very significant, but at the same time, very different ways. Let's continue. Acts chapter 17. Welcome to the new chapter. Verse 1. Now when they had passed through Ampolius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So next, Paul and Silas are on to uh, Thessalonica. Now, this was an important port city, about 100 miles, about a three-day journey from where they were in Philippi. Uh, Thessalonica was established by Cassander, Cassander uh, who was the king, and he married the half-sister of Alexander the Great, the princess Thessalonica. So Thessalonica was actually named for this princess. Now, Thessalonica is a very large city, the capital of that area of Macedonia. This was obviously Paul's strategy, and we see this often in his missionary journeys as he passed through these, these smaller hamlets and continued purposefully to Thessalonica. Modern Thessalonica is still a large, thriving city in Greece. It has over a million people. It could have been as many as 100,000 people in the city at the time that Paul had first visited. It was also Paul's strategy, whenever possible, that he would first go to the synagogue. He would preach first to the Jews. And notice that he was able to do that for, for three Sabbaths. The scripture says that for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Now, if you're like me, that raises a, a question. I, I have to ponder for a moment and wonder what it was that Paul was reasoning from the scriptures. If you remember, uh, at this time, there is no New Testament. Uh, the New Testament is actually being written as Paul is speaking because Dr. Luke is there transcribing the Acts of the Apostles, but there's no New Testament. So Paul is using the Old Testament scriptures, explaining to them that the Christ must suffer and die. So, so where is this? Well, that's a, that's a good question. You see, these scriptures, um, um, they were there, but the vast majority, most of the Jewish scholars, had missed it. They were expecting the Messiah to come, this Christ, the anointed one, to come and to be able to free them from the shackles of Rome, to be able to sit on the throne of David, that he would reign. Uh, see, they had the scriptures right. They knew that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, and then they believed that he would be able to reign on the throne of his father, David. Now, did you know 
that, that when the angel Gabriel uh, came to Mary um, in Nazareth, telling her that she was going to have a child, he delivered a prophecy as well. And if you listen to the prophecy, uh, you'll actually see again the reason why the, many of the Jewish people were confused and assumed that the Messiah would come and rule. This is what it says in, in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 31. It says, this is the angel Gabriel speaking, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be called Jesus. Then Gabriel goes on to say, He will be great, he'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him, listen, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now see, this is not uncommon in the scriptures, especially when it comes to prophecy. Prophecy can often fit into a sentence or two, but sometimes within that sentence or two, there may be a thousand years separating parts of the prophecy. Mary did conceive, and Mary did give birth to a son. She named him Jesus. He was called great and the son of the highest. That was all fulfilled, just as the angel had foretold. But Gabriel went on. The angel Gabriel said that the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, and he would reign, reign as king over the house of Jacob. That is Israel forever. You see, this is not only um, the, the prophecy of Jesus the Messiah, but this is Jesus the coming king. This is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus will return. Uh, the angel said that he would return to earth just as the apostles saw him leave. He would descend from the sky. The, the Bible says that he'll, he'll be there at the Mount of Olives, that he will rule in his, in, on the throne of David for a thousand years. That's the millennia. This is going to happen. It's just that it doesn't all happen at the same time. See, this is what the Jews were expecting. This is why it was prophesied, but there were 2,000 years separating the first coming and the second coming. So it was natural as well for the Jews would miss these important scriptures that speak of the Messiah suffering and dying for the sin of the world. Now, going back to the question, what did Paul teach them? Well, I believe he taught them out of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy, and for those of us that now have the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the New Testament in the rearview mirror, we can see clearly this is speaking of the Messiah. I'm just going to read a few verses from Isaiah 53. Verse number three, it says, And he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Then it says, Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we see him esteemed and stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Then Isaiah 53 goes on in verse 6, it says, As we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity, that's the sins of us all. You know, we know that this is Jesus that Isaiah is speaking of because it continues in verse 9. It says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. Remember the crucifixion. Jesus is crucified between two 
um, two wicked men, the two thieves. But then with the rich in his death, as Joseph of Arimathea that gives his tomb, a rich man, to Jesus. Because he has done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Verse 12, it says, Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, he bore, that's Jesus, bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors, and that's you and I. So, so Paul, by using Isaiah 53, was very clear in understanding that they had missed it, that this Messiah needed to also die for the sin of mankind. The scriptures clearly said that the Messiah would suffer and die, but the Jews, just like many of us today, are not ready to receive that. You know, Psalm 22 also speaks of the death of the Messiah. It's in Psalm 22 that we read, they pierce my hand and my feet. You know, this is 1400 years, 1600 years before crucifixion was even invented. And David the king says these words, they pierce my hands and my feet. The scriptures tell us that it was in Thessalonica that Paul spoke, some received, but many did not. Let's move on. Verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. It means that they believed. You know, it says some of them were persuaded. Now this is typically an understatement. Typically in, in, in Greek um, rhetoric, and Greek language, understatement is used often, and this is an example of it. We read that um, that there was actually a goodly amount, a number of people uh, that believed. Uh, however, these were primarily believing Greeks, devout Greeks, and leading women. It was the men, the Jewish men, that so often resisted the teachings of the gospel by Paul and Silas. The next verses explain the resistance from the Jewish men. We would call them those that have stiff necks. Verse 5, it says, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren out to the rulers of the city, crying out, these have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, you know, we've seen this scene before. It happened at Pisidia in Antioch, in Iconium, that's chapter 14, and then in Lystra. The same type of thing. It's on Paul's missionary journey. A mob develops. Uh, in, they're incited by envious Jewish believers, Jewish men, uh, that don't believe in the Messiah. Uh, they believe in just in, in the law of Moses. Then Paul's preaching is attacked not for being anti-Jewish or being religious, but being anti-Rome. The scripture introduces us to a fellow named Jason in the scripture. Now, according to history and legend within the Orthodox Church, this is the Eastern Church, Jason was a Jew from Jerusalem, and he was actually numbered among the 70 or 72 that Jesus had as disciples, along with the, tw the, the 12, there was another 72 that Jesus had sent out. The Bible, however, is silent. 
uh, but it does identify Jason here as a believer whose house, it seems, was a, a center for some uh, church activity. It's obviously the place where Paul and Silas were staying. When these evil men from the marketplace did not find Paul and Silas, they attacked Jason himself and some brothers, brethren or some brothers and sisters that were with him. Now, our scripture that we use is from the New King James. I, I love the New King James. I love the language, and I love using it to teach. Uh, it's a translation that I prefer. However, sometimes, like in this case, it's fun to go back to the King James because the language is sometimes so telling. Uh, this, this verse that talks about some this men from the, from the marketplace, in the King James verse 5 says it's that, that, that they went and found certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. That <laughs> gives you an idea of the kind of people that they incited to riot. These verses give us an unusual phrase that actually speaks to the ministry of Jesus as well as to the ministry of all of us that are disciples of Jesus Christ. These men cry out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You know, when, when it's the complaint is that Christians were those who have turned the world upside down, uh, what they're basically saying is, is these men have radically impacted the world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's true. I mean, it says, nothing seems the same. That's what the scripture says. Nothing seems the same. And, and that's true. It's been, it was true for me. Likely it was true for you as well. Once I understood the gospel and I embraced the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as an atonement for, for my sin, um, it changed my world. It turned my world upside down. And nothing since that time has ever truly been the same. I find it interesting that Christians are so often, as we see here, accused of being uh, anti-government or anti-nation as, as they were being called anti-Roman. Regardless of the politics uh, at any time, Christians are encouraged in the scriptures to be, to good, be good citizens. Uh, we're encouraged to pray for the kings and the rulers and those that are in authority. We're encouraged to obey the laws and to follow those, those things that are not contrary to the gospel. Our final verse today is, is interesting because it again tells us a little about, about Roman law. It says this, it says, So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Remember, Rome was primarily concerned with maintaining order. That was the crux of the matter. These Roman officials didn't care what the people believed and in fact didn't care what the people um, uh, taught. And Christianity was just one of the other religions. Now Christianity was actually beneficial to Rome and, and within a couple hundred years uh, the Rome would become Christian. The Roman uh, Empire would embrace Christianity because they found it more favorable to governance uh, than to these pagan gods. But when the towns and the cities experienced mo mobs and riots, Rome would come down hard on whoever was causing that problem. As Paul and Silas were accused of starting the insurrection, the mob, the disorderly conduct, their friend Jason was required to post bond. 
Uh, that's exactly what it means when the scripture says that he had a post or had to use when he um, used security, when they extracted security from Jason. And Paul and Silas leave Thessalonica by night. Uh, this brings us back to our earlier teaching that being a Christian and being bold in the faith and even being willing to, to die uh, for the Lord doesn't mean you have to. Sometimes it's good to, to flee. And sometimes it's good to leave and then die another day. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the scriptures today. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this story. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.